This is the Better Reading Podcast platform with stories behind the story, Jane's Be Better Podcast, my book chat with Caroline Overington and more. Looking for a particular podcast? Remember, you can always skip to it. Welcome to the Better Reading Podcast, stories behind the story, brought to you by Belinda Audio. Listen to Belinda Audiobooks, anywhere, everywhere. Hi, this is Cheryl Arkell for the Better Reading Podcast, stories behind the story. We talk to authors about how they came to tell us their story. Jennifer Spence, welcome to Better Reading. Thanks for inviting me, Cheryl. Um, Jennifer has written um, this beautiful fiction book. Um, Let me introduce you. Um, Jennifer grew up in country Victoria and went to university in Melbourne. After a brief period as an English teacher and a year script writing soap operas, Jennifer stumbled upon a profession that suited her varied talents and became a technical writer. Jennifer is the author and has published, well, uh, you've been an author for a while, and has published three children's books and a crime novel. She's here today to talk to us about her latest book, The Lost Girls, a haunting and beautifully compelling tale of love and loss that asks what you would do if you had the chance to change a pivotal moment from your past. How far would you go to save someone you loved? It's such an interesting point, isn't it? Because it's about reflection as well, isn't it? Yes, that's right. I, I, I wanted to really think about memory and how we remember our past and you know, hold that up against maybe what our past was really like or maybe about the way somebody else sees it. So that was a, quite a big element of the book. I think memory is so important. Um, it got me thinking on a number of levels um, about what I would change. So there, there was that. And I, I wouldn't call it regret, uh, just moments in your life that you might have done things differently. But memory, I think, is so interesting. Um, and, and I know it is because, you know, so many scientists and doctors and whatever have studied it. But I grew up in a family of six kids. So I've got four sisters and a brother. And all of us, when we're retelling stories of when we were little or stories of the past, they don't even have to be that long ago. They're re- everyone has a different memory of it and we were all there. That's right. Uh, that's what I love about uh, going to see my sister because we live in different states and we don't see each other that much. But when we do get together and reminisce, you know, I can bring up something I've been thinking about, about the past and she will have such a different perspective on it. Um, but it's a totally different memory in a way, isn't yes, it? Yes, that's right. Oh, there's a an amazing example of that, actually. A few years ago, I got a letter from a girl I was at primary school and early high school with, um, and we'd been friends for a while. Now, I have a memory from my early high school days that really still makes me want to put my head under the pillow and cry because I'd... I'd finished my maths early and I was kind of happily drawing pictures in the margins of the maths book. And the maths teacher, and I won't sort of use the words I normally use to describe her, she came upon me doing this, seized my book, waved it around and kept saying, this dirty girl, this dirty girl. And this was so traumatic for me. Awful. So So I've nursed this memory all my life thinking, well, that was one of the worst things. 
so I got a letter from this girl who was my friend at the time. And in the letter she said, remember when the maths teacher gave us trouble because we were drawing in our maths books? And I thought, wait a minute, she's not in my memory. My memory is, is one of complete isolation in that incident. And yet she was there. I just erased wow. her. Yeah. And why do you think we do that? Why do you think that happens, the difference in memory? Well, I actually think that um, our, our oldest memories, the ones that we keep dredging up, are actually narratives that we've made up. Not made up, but I think we may have imperfect memories of something that struck us and we mull it over and we mull it over and we somehow construct a narrative of that event that seems to be right and... I think later on what we're remembering is not so much the actual event as as the story, our story of that event. And so another person who was there at the time has probably made up their own narrative in which, at the very least, they're the central character, not, yeah. not you. I, um, I've been working with books and stories and authors and writers and readers for the large part of my career, almost all of it. You know, I left school and started working in a public library. And for me, story is such an integral part of my life and it has always been very important for me. But when I talk to people about it, it's also they don't understand how important it is for them as well because I think we use story to decipher or understand or make sense of so much, don't we? We do and I agree with you. I, uh, to me also story is really important and you know, when I write it's the story that comes first and this, it, obviously you want to hang all the things you're interested in on that but, but it's nothing without a good story and I feel the same when I see a film too. You know, I'm really attracted to films that tell a really good complex story because yes as you say one teacher I had long ago said something like there are uh, stories aren't written they're rewritten and they are it's it's true that there are a number of kind of pivotal stories that we all know and we do variations on them but yeah I think they are a way of making sense of the world and I think that's why a lot of stories we tell ourselves the sad stories or and tragic stories because we we have we have an urge to think over bad things that happen and try to understand why they happened and you know, how we can feel about them. That makes sense of yeah. them. Yeah. yeah, that's right. So tell me about your um, how you came to writing stories. So you grew up in Melbourne. Tell me about that. I grew up in a country town actually, Ararat. Oh, right, you know, yes. your typical bucolic country yeah. town. And I grew up a long time ago when we didn't have the resources the kids have now. And I think that was, um, it was great for us. We, obviously we had no TV, we had the radio and a really important part of our lives actually was finishing the dishes at night and all repairing into the sitting room and listening to a serial or, you know, a series of stories on the radio and that was just wonderful. It's a great way to receive stories. Um, but also, although my parents were not educated, they were great readers. They really loved books and so we all read from an early age. Um, we didn't have many books. We didn't even have a proper town library until I was about 10. So there was always a scramble to get books and I think at a very early age I got the notion that 
okay, I haven't got enough books in the house. I've read everything we've got. I'd better start writing my own. And I think that was really how I formed the wish to be a writer in my life. And did you start writing at an early age? Oh, yes, I did. Whenever I got an exercise book, I would start writing a book. Uh, I, 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 would you fill it up? Well, I probably never filled it up, you know. I'd yeah. sort of do a few pages, you know. But yeah. I was only a kid, you know. You don't really see things through. Uh, I think I had the notion, though, that if I could fill the exercise book, that would be a whole yeah. book and, yeah. um, you know, I could get my sisters to read it, etc. I think... I think my sisters were doing the same thing and we were reading each other's stuff anyway. But the stories were nothing to nothing to get excited about and they were all pretty much the same. I think, you know, some um, some unappreciated young girl. We had a, um, a beautiful um, young author in here uh, recently, um, Holly um, Ringland, um, and she told me that at that age... She was not a, not only a confident um, writer, she actually wrote, I think she wrote to an agent or a publisher, I can't remember who, and told them that she was coming. She's going to have a book shortly <laughs> and they should look out for it. Don't, well. <laughs> don't you think that's a wonderful story? And it is a wonderful story and, and it's far from my story because I, was kind of, I really just, I didn't know what I was doing really. Yeah. I just didn't know and I. But uh, you liked it. Oh, I always loved to write. Yeah. Uh, I always wanted to write. And I think I've always loved the English language too, mm. which of course is your major tool as a writer. Yeah. Uh, it was always my favourite subject at school. And, and of course, in a way, reading and writing were sort of hardly separable for me most of my life. Yeah. Mm. I, I think you're right, and you've just touched on this. I think, you know, in our experience here at Better Reading, and, and we do read a lot and we talk to um, quite a few authors as well, but I think it's those books that are the most beautiful to read or the most successful to read, and I'm not talking about sales numbers here at all. I'm just saying the joy of reading mm. a story is when those two come together, so the craft of writing... And the story itself, when they come together seamlessly, that's when you have a great story. I agree. And, um, you know, if we want to talk about the craft of writing, that's very important to me and it's not easy to talk about, but I think writing is, well, it's, it's, it's the means of expressing the deepest feelings and ideas that you can have, which you, can express to yourself non-verbally in a way. You know, you do sometimes talk to yourself in constructive sentences, but often... Oh, I talk to myself a lot. Yeah, but yeah. often it's really abstract thought in a way yeah. that enables you to kind of shift ideas around and, you know, fit them into different cogs and generally get, you know, get your ideas organised. But then when it comes to actually communicating that to someone else, that's when you have to put words down on a page and and that's the great challenge of writing when you that's the craft of writing yeah and it? when you first try to do it you know you 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 kind of do it roughly and then you're going to refine it and if you keep working at it hopefully yep. you get to the point where you actually the words become transparent so the thought passes from you to the reader and i think that's what you're aiming at um do you know what it Emma Visage, she's... Um, I do know Emma. Oh, yes. yes. So yes. she's also, she's a musician as well as a writer. And when I yes. spoke to her, she talked about 
the parallels between writing and music. And, mm. you know, there's hours and hours and hours of practice that yeah. go into music, regardless whether you're, a, whether you're a singer or a piano player or whatever it is. Mm. And I think good writers have done the same. Yes, I think so, yeah. And you, you, know, you endlessly recraft your work to try to try to capture that thought that's often so hard to capture. Uh, but getting back to Emma being a musician, I'm so envious of musicians. I, I'm, yeah, so am I. I, yeah, I. I can't play a musical instrument. And, and when I observe people playing, it seems impossible that, you know, it, they've somehow managed to go through a process where they can, they can handle that instrument and allow the instrument to, you know, to sing, to make its music without agonizing over it in their brain you, know, you obviously couldn't play a musical instrument if you're constantly thinking now what do I do, do next where do I put my fingers you know they but isn't that what they do when they're practicing oh yeah for sure yeah but that's what they're aiming towards and once a musician is actually playing a piece of music I think I imagine that they're just expressing the music without having to think about we're going to have to ask Emma Exactly. <laughs> oh, and <laughs> anyone else. But uh, I, I think can, it would be wonderful to be able to do that. Yeah, it would. Um, I So you've got – so how then – you became an English teacher, is that right? So tell me about your career path. Yes. Well, um, to me the big thing was going to university. Going from my country town where only a tenth of the kids in the school even got to the final wow. year. Yeah. Um, and then I've – of those, um, only three of us actually went to university and the others were two boys who were doing science and I didn't see them much. And I think, I'm not sure what happened to them, but that was a really big deal for me to leave the town and go to university and reinvent myself. Yeah. And I really didn't want to be a teacher. That was a means to an end. So I actually... When I got myself sorted out, I studied English and philosophy. And you weren't supposed to study philosophy if you were going to be a teacher, but I did anyway. And it was just a magic time for me. And I was also extremely lucky to be at Melbourne University in the 60s when the whole world was being turned on its head. So they were exciting days. Um, but Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Eventually, uh, that finished and I had to make a living and I did go into teaching. Um, but I only taught for a year full time and then I got deflected into quite a number of other things. 
And what then led you to writing a book? Um, I always wanted to write, of course, you know, very much. And I did write, you know, stories and even the odd poem, which fortunately I haven't kept any of those. Um, And I did want to write a book early on, but there were two things about that, I suppose. One was it was a bit like climbing a mountain. The idea that I could actually sit down and start work and do the whole thing and finish a book seemed like such an attainment to me, almost akin to playing a musical instrument, that I hoped to be able to do it, but I wasn't sure if I could. Um, also, life got in the way, you know, with work, etc. But the other thing is, really, I don't think I had a lot to say. Uh, I had ideas about what I wanted to write about, but I don't think I really had the kind of depth of experience to be able to say anything particularly interesting about any of those things. Yeah. So, in a way, it was frustrating for me to work through a long career without having the time um, and the space to write. But it's not entirely a bad thing because in that long career, you know, I started accumulating a lot of thoughts about a lot of things. It's interesting you talk about having um, <clears throat> the experience and having the age experience, if you like, because I've mm. often, you know, read authors like, you know, Tim Winton, for instance, mm. or Paul Oster or Peter Carey. And, you know, as they've, I mean, they've been writing for a long time. And mm. as they've grown up, you see the different perspective, the story perspectives of age, don't you? Um, you certainly the, do. Yeah. 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 That only dawned on me. Um, Recently, when I heard Paul Oster talk, he was reading a, a short story that he'd written about being a grandfather. Uh-huh. And um, I thought, wow, you know, he was somebody that we were reading who was writing in their 20s and 30s, and now it's yeah. a totally different perspective. Um, yeah. Still a beautiful writer, but a totally different subject. And I think um, I really like Paul Oster's work too, and I've read a range of it over his career. And I think he's obviously... A writer who loves being a reader because yes. he plays with the medium so much and he plays with the, you know, the familiar tropes of, of authorship and novels and he turns things on his head and, you know, he appears in the book himself as the writer and does all those wonderful things. Um, and yeah, I, I can see that he, he's always had lots of ideas and lots of kind of different thoughts about how to do it. Yeah. Do you have favorite writers? I, I guess so. Um, I have different writers for different moods. Mm. Um, and different periods of time, I've got that. Like, you know, yeah. when I was in my 20s, I was – although I would say my overarching would be Gabriel Garcia Marquez. I've never really yeah. read anything better than that. But it does change with my mood. I think also you, um, you change yourself as a reader – I, you I do. love I love Gabriel Garcia Marquez. Reading A Hundred Years of Solitude was such a, an extraordinary kind of uh, punctuation point in my life. You know, mm. to know that such a thing was possible and it was such a, a marvellous book and his other books have been too. If I went back and read that now, um, I'd probably still love it, but I'd be seeing it from a different perspective. I think you would. Um, I, I know in one of my book groups a couple of years ago, we did The Golden Notebook by Doris Lessing. Doris Lessing has always been you know, a revered favourite of mine. And I remembered with great fondness reading The Golden Notebook 
when I was young and identifying madly with both the characters and just loving it. When I read it again a couple of years ago, I really, I really disliked both of the women. I thought, <laughs> come on, get over yourself. I, I had a completely different perspective on it. Isn't that interesting? That mm. does happen. Mm. You know what I read repeatedly, not every year, but every couple of years, and it still has the same effect on me. And even though I've probably read it 10 times or 15 times now, it still makes me cry. Uh, to Kill a Mockingbird. And I know it's popular and I know that it is seen as populist, but there is something about that book where the themes have never changed. I, yeah, and, and also the book is an absolute gem. It, it kind of transcends um, fashions, if you like, in literature. It does. In that it's, it's so sparingly written, so beautiful, so exact. Uh, I think, yeah, I think... Like yeah. Yeah, that, that, that's a book I think I would always love. Yeah, I love going mm. back to it. Okay, so tell me how The Lost Girls came, came about. Well, it's funny. I had a kind of life plan myself. You know, yeah. when, I, when I stopped full-time work and, you know, decided that now's my, my time and I can write, I had a whole, list, a whole list of books in my head that I wanted to write and I still got, you know, a lot of that list and yeah. I'll get to them eventually. Uh, and it wasn't about genres. I didn't realise that you're supposed to find a genre and stick to it. So they're all different sorts yeah. of different books. Anyway, so I was working my way through the list, essentially. Um, but I just got this idea that popped into my head. It was triggered by just seeing a young schoolgirl at the bus stop and thinking, oh, isn't that the girl my daughter was friends with and then thinking no, my daughter's in her 30s it's not, yeah. it's <laughs> it's not, not that girl but I just started to think after that what if it was what if you know what what would it be like to slip into the past um, and find yourself in, in an early period of your life but as a witness and what it would it be like if I got on that bus and by the time I got home I was you know sometime in the past what would I do? I even thought at the same time I was thinking of practicalities, how would I survive? But also I would want to go back and look at my house where we lived and see myself when I was younger and see my children when I was younger. And that idea just grew and grew and I couldn't, I couldn't stop thinking about it until I'd roughly plotted out the book. Not that the plot I thought of at the time was you know, close to close to the plot of the final book but it was you know the, the bare bones of it yeah. the starting points reminds me of the time traveler's wife yeah that's yeah. an amazing book and i love that book i, I, I mean i do love time travel yeah but in this instance i thought okay well it's going to have to be time travel that's the vehicle by which the main character gets back to the past yeah but i don't want to dwell on that aspect of it no, i don't want to make want, it yeah. a time travel book yeah that's a different thing isn't it that's right so i uh what I did love about the time traveler's wife, though, is is the the emotional yeah. journey of that, and also the technically, of course, it's it's marvelous. But this idea of the two main characters relating to each other at different times in both of their lives, different ages, with different uh, perceptions of each other, you know, each one of them will know something about the other that the other one doesn't know yet. All of that is mind-boggling, but it fantastic. really is. I remember when that first came out, and I decided that I was never going to read it because I don't like sci-fi. 
you know, I don't like the idea of time travel. I don't like Doctor <laughs> Who. I don't, and it was yeah. none of that. Absolutely mm. none of that. And the way mm. she wrote and transitioned mm. those two people in every period of their life was seamless. Yeah, marvelous. Yeah. yeah, yeah. And but that's what you've done here as well. Well, I tried. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So you have an idea. That's one thing. Mm. And so talk to me about the challenge of the craft. Well then. Um, with the idea, you sort of start working it out and you obviously there's going to be a main character. What I tend to do once I've got the idea and I have this feeling, I suppose, of what sort of story it's going to be and what sort of journey the character's going to go on, I then kind of set that aside and start thinking about the character and the characters. And again, a lot of it changes when I do the actual writing and a lot more characters actually introduce themselves to me as I write but before I properly start I just think a lot about the central characters and this is what I do with you any... You must have a really good memory. Do you know sometimes I wake up in the morning with a thought and I, I, and I think oh I must tell so-and-so that but if I don't write it down by the time I see so-and-so I'm going to forget. Yeah actually that's quite a good point because I do have a good memory. You do. And now I'm getting a bit older. It's failing me now and then, which is mm. really annoying, but it's always been really good. And So you've created all of this in your head before you start writing. Yeah. And, you know, I think up more details to add and then I kind of I do it. I mull over a lot. In your head still? In my head. I do a lot of thinking. I think... When do you when, start writing? Um, that is... At a fairly early point, but not immediately. No. I, I think even now, when I'm writing a book, I think I spend a lot more time thinking than I do writing. When I'm when I'm not actually at the computer writing, when I'm you know hanging out the washing or <laughs> yeah. you know walking. on a bus or walking, yeah. you know, especially as the as I get further and further into the book. I'm thinking about it more and more of the time and, you know, not listening to what people are saying to me, et cetera, because I'm kind of off, <laughs> off in my head. There's but, Jenny. Yeah. But She's I, somewhere else. I, I do think up like whole scenes and whole passages of dialogue and... And you remember them when you're writing it? Pretty much, yeah. Uh, again, when you actually write it down, sometimes it's somehow it becomes better yeah. <laughs> and... Uh, and actually, the great thing is, uh, as I said, I, I do think up scenes and I think up, you know, what it, what the characters are doing so, you know, roughly know what their dialogue is going to be. And it's like visualising it in my head. But then when I go to write it down, all the missing details kind of flow in. It's, I don't know, It's maybe it's like... You might remember watching a film that you enjoyed and you yeah. can remember it and think about it, but then if you go and actually watch the film, there'll be a whole lot more that, Absolutely. that weren't in that memory and it's, I suppose, a bit like that when I write. And once you get to the actual writing, is that a process that you enjoy? Yes, I do, I do. Yeah. A lot of authors say that comes hard, that they love yeah. it and they, you know, it's a yeah. love-hate kind of relationship. It, it does come hard and, and I have... Um, yeah, I have times when I just don't feel like it or, you know, I sit down, I've, you know, the, the time dictates that I can write now. But I sit down and I just don't really much feel like it. I think that happens to everyone. Yes. Um, and, and yeah, I think 
I used to be anxious about that, thinking, oh, I'm never going to get it done. This is writer's block. It's going to be terrible. But I'm a bit more relaxed now. I kind of let myself have those times. And then I just go away and think some more. Yeah. <laughs> can always think. Uh, hey, it's just posed yeah. a question and I don't know the answer to this. Is writer's block the craft or is it the story? I don't really know because I don't really I think don't I know. have it. Yeah. Um, but I do have little ways of guarding against it so that when I finish writing for the day, I, I pretty much always make sure I finish knowing what's going to come next. So I know that the next day when I sit down to write... I, I know what I'm going to be writing. Well, I Not know how to, how to get into it anyway. It might be only a tiny bit, but you only need a tiny bit um, to, to get back into it and then it flows from there. That's a great technique. Mm. We, we've run out of time. The book that is called The Lost Girls. Jennifer Spence, thank you so much for coming in. Thank you, Cheryl. That was great. If you'd like more information about Better Reading, follow us on Facebook or visit betterreading.com.au. This podcast is proudly sponsored by Belinda Audio. Belinda Audiobooks are available on CD and MP3 from online booksellers and bookshops everywhere, or you can download from Audible, Google Play or the iBookstore. We've also created our own app called BorrowBox that's available from both the App Store and Google Play. All you need to do to get it working is to download the app, join your local public library, and you'll gain access to the world's best collection of e-books and e-audiobooks available for you to loan on your phone or your personal device. Belinda, we're here to enable you to escape, imagine, grow, and be inspired through the power of storytelling. Belinda Audiobooks. Anywhere. Everywhere. up what was that boring no flavor that was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week kiki palmer here and it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free hello fresh jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. now that's music to my mouth hello fresh let's get this dinner party started discover all the delicious possibilities at hellofresh.com If you enjoyed this podcast, leave us a review and check out the other podcasts on the Better Reading Network.